0: and ask me questions if I was confusing. I'm gonna start with the injury portion because as of today, it doesn't involve the Chicago Cubs directly, but I will get to the Cubs pipeline in a few. But I wanna talk about injuries and speculation. Injuries and speculation. I did a bit of a Patreon article on this already. But in case you are listening and not reading, I want to go through it here as well. Imagine you're watching a ball game, or listening to a ball game. Either one. Actually, listening it works even better, because when you're listening, the announcer is your eyes and your ears. So you're listening to a game, or you're watching a game, and a player pulls up. You know what I mean? Hey, the, I, yeah. Something happened. I was watching a game. I was watching a highlight of a game uh, sometime through the week, midweek high school, uh, midweek college game or something like that. Player hits a home run to left field, kind of admires the home run, jogs down to first, steps on first base funny. Lands funny on his shoulder, and looked like he. It looked like he um, injured his shoulder. Falling while rounding the bases. Unfortunate thing, but um, in that sort of an instance, if you're watching the game, you see that. But if you're listening to the game you're almost entirely reliant upon the announcer to tell you well the hitter seems to have injured his shoulder falling to the ground rounding the bases after hitting a home run much of the time when i'm following a ball game i'm listening because i'm trying to do three other things and i don't have the i don't have seven eyes so, um, usually I'm listening. And when I'm listening, I'm reliant upon the announcer to tell me if there's something bizarre going on. Maybe somebody runs out onto the field from the crowd. That's, that would be something odd that, we sh- that I should be told. Or there's an injury, or there's an argument, or there, you know, whatever it is. Cat runs out onto the field. Whatever it is, if something strange goes on, The announcer is my eyes and ears. The announcer is the one who has to tell me if there's an injury in a game, we should know about it. We should know about it as quickly as it happens. And speculating on an injury should be totally acceptable. For instance, let's say The announcer is calling the game, calling the game, calling the game. Oh my goodness, there's an injury. And they say nothing more than that. That's going to drive you insane because you're thinking who got hurt? Who got hurt? What part of their body? Does it look serious? Is there bone showing? Is somebody bleeding? You want to know what's going on in the game. That's why you're listening to the ball game. You want to know what's going on. So, in Australia, when I listen to Australian rules football, when there is a player that goes down on the field with an injury, almost certainly within 10 seconds, of the three or four people that have microphones, somebody will say, that's a two or three week injury. He's going to be out six to eight weeks. Now, they might not be entirely accurate, but the reality is, if you have an announcer who has an experience of being around the sport for, let's say, a decade they probably have a fairly decent idea of how long an injury is going to last. So, you know, when somebody has a Tommy John surgery, we know that's a year, year and a half. We know. We know that already. Why? Because people have speculated on that enough times that it is common knowledge that Tommy John surgery... 12, 14, 18 months. We know that. Why? Because it's been speculated regularly and shown to be rather accurate. So, when there is an injury in a game, when the announcer says, I don't want to speculate, well, I want the announcer to be competent at speculating if they're good at it. If they're not good at it, then don't speculate because you're not good at it. But if you know how long an injury is likely to last, Tell us that. Full breath. Friday, I was listening to the White Sox game on the radio because, well, part of it was because the Cubs game was called off and I wanted to listen to something until the Cubs pipeline game started. And after four innings, Lucas Giolito was lifted and a relief pitcher came in. And there was no immediate comment. There was this, oh, kind of thought he would come out for the fifth inning, but he didn't. Okay, whatever, whichever. You know, we we live and learn. Then about an inning later, we found out Lucas Giolito had left the game with an ab strain, an abdominal strain. Now, this was 20 hours ago. 20 hours ago, 20 hours ago, 20 hours ago, I heard Lucas Giolito suffered an ab strain. 20 hours ago, I have yet to see a listing of the last 100 Major League Baseball ab strains and how long the duration was. Now I can see easily enough which Major League Baseball player has the best exit velocities has the best spin rate on their slider. But as far as something that is actually historically relevant, who are the last 100 Major League Baseball players to leave a game with an ab strain? That, to me, seems natural. That, to me, seems logical. That, to me, seems like what are the high temperatures in Innsbruck, Austria, on August seventeenth it seems logical. it seems natural. it seems historical. You have an injury, you write it down on a list. this is the date. this is the guy. this is the injury. this is how long he ended up missing. Now of course, we're not going to be able to fill in the how long he's been how long he missed until after he gets back. but it seems natural we should have somebody recording. This is the baseball injury. This is the duration of the injury. So in seven weeks when someone else has an ab strain, then the comment can be, "Oh, this guy had an ab strain." And as you probably remember, Lucas Giolito had an ab strain, and he missed so much time. And you, you get the once you start getting twelve or fourteen or thirty or sixty injuries that are similar then you can start to put together, oh, okay, this is how long an ab strain will cause a player to miss. To me, this seems logical. This should be something that is automatic. As much information as we have in our universe, and we have no idea how long Lucas Giolito is going to miss due to an ab strain is inexplicable. The White Sox have recently signed Johnny Cueto to replace Lance Lynn, who is going to be out potentially six to eight weeks with an injury, uh, leg injury, upper leg injury, hamstring, thigh, quad, whatever. Um, Of course, we're not writing this stuff down, so nobody's trying to learn anything because we don't want to be able to um, speculate accurately. So, um, Garrett Crochet, Tommy John surgery out for the season. The White Sox aren't to the point of, oh my goodness, who's going to be able to start tomorrow yet? But they're getting closer to that as time goes on. The Cubs ought to be on the telephone with the White Sox as far as, okay, if you get another injury or two, is there a trade we could possibly consider making that would benefit you and benefit us. My guess is Alec Mills would probably be the player going to the White Sox if that were to eventually happen. The White Sox best option now for replacing Giolito is probably Jimmy Lambert, who is a starter at Charlotte he's on the 60 he's on the 40 man roster he'd probably be the guy i don't know if he's any good or not but these are questions that a person ought to get around to asking anytime there is an injury when there's an injury these are the questions that you should be asking who replaces him how long is the injury duration other than that nothing else really matters ask those questions who should be replacing him How long is the injury going to endure? Then possibly, 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 if you're really good at this kind of stuff, is there anyone else we should look to for another team in regards to a potential trade? So, yes, Lucas Giolito is going to miss some time. How long? We have no idea because nobody bothers to research Major League Baseball injuries as they should. Okay, overnight in the Cubs pipeline, one of the things that was the overarching factor, it seemed like there were seven or eight really close calls, maybe not seven, six or seven really close calls in the games last night, and all but one of them went the other team's way. Stuff happens. It just happens that way sometimes. And when the 50-50 calls go the way of the other team, and there's plenty of them through the night, and you miss on almost all of them, it's going to be kind of tough to have a good night. So I'm going to run through briefly what happened. I don't have the final scores in front of me. I'm not even going to look at the box scores, but I think I'm pretty close. Game one of two, Iowa-Buffalo, and it didn't work out very well. It just didn't work out very well. Um, Iowa scored a run in the first. Dixon Machado singled or drew a walk, one of the two. Um... And scored on a single by Robel Garcia, who has been fantastic so far. Um, so the Cubs were up one to nothing early, but um, Adrian Sampson was not effective. He recorded. Six outs, gave up four runs, and the Cubs were down four to one for seemingly the entire game. Finally, in the sixth inning, was it fifth or sixth? Um, Donnie Deweese, who's back from a season-long injury, um, score st- scored by stealing home. Runner was a. Uh, uh, Let's see, what was it? 3-2 count. Runner was on first. Runner was taking off, and it was called a ball. The catcher thought it was a strike, so he was trying to go for the strike him out, throw him out at second. And with the throw going to second, Donnie Dewey stole home. So that cut it to to 4-2, and Iowa had a chance, but the last reliever... Uh Eric Yardley struggled in the bottom of the sixth and gave up three runs. I Cubs lose seven to two. In the second game of the doubleheader, Mark Leiter Jr. pitched really well. Uh, gave up a run early, and that was all the scoring there would be. Bottom of uh, top of the seventh, trailing one to nothing. Uh. Who was it? Who was it? Who was it? Um, Narciso Crook. Narciso Crook hit one down the right field line, gone but foul. Then the next pitch, he hit one to the track in right field, just short of the fence for a fly out to right. Two outs, Then Trent Giambroni hit one right to the barrier. You know, a lot of parks have that yellow line or that white line or that blue line. And if it hits the line or if it goes over the line or if whatever it is, if it hits the line, that's a home run. If it doesn't hit the line, that's not a home run. Trent (gasps) Giambroni. He might have missed the line by a centimeter, or maybe he didn't. Maybe it hit the line, but the umpires couldn't tell. Uh, Giambroni gets a double. Next batter hit by pitch. Next batter grounds out. Ball game over. I Cubs lose one to nothing. A key call goes against them. Hold that thought. Tennessee. Jumped all over the starting pitcher who only lasted one inning before getting lifted. Um, It was a really nice game for Tennessee. There weren't necessarily that many hits, but they drew like eight or nine walks. And when they had hits, there were generally people on base. Uh, It was Tennessee up five to nothing after three. Cam Sanders had a fantastic game. Mid-90s, pretty much whenever he wanted it, had a breaking ball that could strike hitters out as well. Um, had a little bit of uh, panache going on. Uh There was an interesting play where Jacob Herdebis, who is a very, 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 very fast outfielder, slapped a line drive down the left field line And the ball kind of sat underneath the bullpen bench. And the left fielder, Jonathan Perlaza, uh, got over to the bench. And I don't know if he, I wasn't watching, so I don't know if he chased after the ball and then said, hey, wait a minute, I can't get the ball, or if he just put his hands up. I don't know which it was. But uh, the umpires eventually sent her to Beast's, Who had easily rounded the bases very fast, very fast. Uh, Hurtabies was sent back to second and he did not end up scoring. Perlaza would drive in two runs with a late single, and there's another at bat of his where two runs scored on a drop fly ball by an outfielder. Um, Tennessee wins eight to nothing. And in that one instance where the bullpen play, the Cubs did possibly, potentially, maybe get a break. South Bend. uh, Chris Clark has a fantastic curveball. It was on display. Uh, Quad City is a very good team. Kansas City has a very good organization. And Quad City led three to nothing from I think the third inning. Uh, Cubs cut it to five uh, cut it to three to two on a home run by I'm gonna remember who it was. Fabian pair twos, two run homer to cut it to three to two. Ninth inning, Cubs loaded the bases and Ed Howard hit a sacrifice fly to tie the game, with the Curtis the uh, free base runner. Quad City scored a run in the tenth. The Cubs did not score a run in the tenth, so Quad City wins four to three in a very close game. Down in Myrtle Beach, we again go back to having. Questionable calls that don't go the Cubs' way. Ethan Hearn blooped one down the left field line, third baseman after it, shortstop after it, left fielder after it. They all dive and somebody makes contact with the ball and the ball lands and nobody has any idea if the ball was fair or foul. Umpires ruled ruled foul. A run scored on the play. Possibly a second run would have scored on the play because, after all, there were two outs and everybody was running. And it's not where the ball lands. It's where the ball was touched. The ball was touched in midair, and the umpires did not have any sort of a clue. Cubs do not get the call. Cubs do not score a run. Cubs do not pass go, do not collect $200. Then in the next half inning, a base runner tries to steal on Ethan Hearn, who had just gotten screwed out of an RBI. Throw to second. He's out, but he's called safe. Three errors by Myrtle Beach early in the game lead to a 5 to nothing lead. The... Pelicans cut it to to 5-2, but that's as far as they could cut into it. Uh, Preciado made an error at shortstop, but by later in the game, he had made a couple of nice plays to counter the error. Live and learn as you go. Um, As far as injuries, as far as I know, there were none in the Cubs pipeline yesterday, which is absolutely huge. And there's there's no need to speculate when there are no injuries. Um, But yeah, I wish that when there was a player who walked off grabbing his knee, we would have better chronicling of what was the injury, how long did the injury keep the player out, and then the next time that injury comes up, you write another line, and then you write another line, and then you write another line. Then eventually, after 10 or 15 or 30 or 700 injuries, we start to get an idea, oh, this is a two- to five-week injury. There you go. Um, busy afternoon, evening in the Cubs pipeline today. Iowa starts uh, Caleb Killian at noon South Bend starts DJ hers at three. Rumor has it Max Bain will follow hers to the mound. Tennessee and Myrtle Beach play late. And of course, the Chicago Cubs also play a game today as well. So, regardless what your preference is, your appetite should be sated. Have a great Saturday.